0: doing a series uh, this spring in the Minor Prophets. Minor, you ask. It doesn't mean they're not important. It just means they were shorter prophets. So all those overlooked books uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, these were the prophets who were briefer and not like Ezekiel and Isaiah. Uh, and so we call them Minor. And tonight we come to Micah, the prophet Micah. And there are a few things. I mean, Micah, it's like so much of the prophets, it has this context of uh, the Micah is late late 8th century BC, um, prophesying probably in Jerusalem. And it's this context where like God is looking at the world and specifically at his people, and what he sees isn't good. Right? It's like it's trying to understand God's anger at sin. Like it's like if all the like worst parts of everyone's life was in front of you day in and day out, right? <laughs> it's like, this is what God is seeing. And so what's Micah's role? So he's speaking against this. Uh, and there's some famous passages uh, in Micah uh, in chapter four, um, the, one of the places um, in the prophets where uh, it says he will beat swords into plowshares. There's the famous verse, Micah 4.4, 4, um, everyone will sit under his own vine and fig tree and no one will be afraid. Um, George Washington quoted that in his farewell address. That was part of his vision for what America was supposed to be about, right? Everyone will so we don't really have fig trees in America, but you, uh, you get the image. But my focus tonight is actually going to be out of Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. So I'm going to read those and talk about them you follow along with me. This is Micah 6, verse 6. What then shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord? So the person, so Micah here speaking uh, in the voice, voice of the people. You know, they, they might ask, what should I bring before God? And they were living in a sacrificial system. You went to the temple, you made sacrifices. That's this image of burnt offerings, of rivers of oil. Right? What would you give uh, to get right with God? That's the question that you're ask, they're asking. What would you give to get right with God? Right? It's, it's like the analogy, like in a relationship, when you do something wrong... Sometimes it's easier to make a financial gesture than to actually make things right. Maybe you don't know this, you're young. <laughs> it's like this is what people do. It's easier to make a financial gesture. I mean, um, Yeah, I can think of a family relationship where it's like it's easier to offer possessions, cars, houses, than to apologize, right? It's like you just try to buy it. Is <laughs> that what's needed? Well, verse 8, this is the key verse we're going to focus on really on the last phrase, and it's this, he has told you, God has told us, what he. this is like, if you ever ask that question, like, what is God's will for your life? If you're a Christian and you think about that, what is God's will for your life? Here it is, all right? Answer, definitive answer. It's not actually going to help you decide which job to take or who to marry or anything like that. But here's the answer nonetheless. He has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I'm going to focus on that that last bit, to walk humbly with your God. This is the key. Micah here, he's summarizing the law, right? It's like in the Old Testament, the Jews, they had the law given on Mount Sinai, this covenant between them and God, to follow this law that God had laid out. And this is the essence of it. Well, I mean, it's back there in Deuteronomy, if you ever read you know the actual books of the law. It's like, what is the essence of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. What's the second part? Love your neighbor as yourself out of Leviticus. This is the core. Micah six eight is a reiteration of that. What does God desire? Does he want your stuff? Does he want the things that you can do? Well, most fundamentally, what God desires is your heart, that you would walk humbly with him, that you would do what is right, that you would love kindness, steadfast love, mercy, that word can be translated as. What God desires isn't just like Some external actions, one day a year, two days a year, occasionally when you feel the need of it, when you feel especially bad, you might go and bow before God. What God is asking is that you would walk with him, that you would walk with him. So there are three things I want to say about walking humbly with your God. First, it's rare. Humility, it's rare. Second, it's relational. And third, it's active. Rare, relational, and active. Tried for alliteration. I couldn't find it for the last one. Rare. Let's start with rare. Humility. Like, do you know any humble people? Do you know any humble people? Maybe maybe you do. Like, Princeton freshmen are, like, my, my some of my favorite people. Princeton freshmen. Like, yes, Princeton freshmen. Uh-huh. All right. Some of my favorite people. Especially, like, right when they get to campus. And, like, because they're just such prime examples right then of, like, what humility does not mean. <laughs> what humility? I, I, I remember once I'm sort of you exposed my own heart. I remember once I was a freshman. Debbie Boyce, this was actually on the winter retreat when I was a freshman. <laughs> she and Bill were on staff already. Then had for many many years. Um, and uh, she asked me. She's like, I don't know what it was. Like, are you good at something? That was like the quiet. I don't know what it was. And I said, "I'm good at many things." (laughs) That was my response. Good at many things, right? I mean, by the standards of like public high school in Central Pennsylvania, right? You know, (laughs) it's like I was good at many things. You just have that, you know. It's very frustrating for staff members because you're always trying to like speak wisdom into students' lives, and especially freshmen. Oh, don't take too much on many things. Don't take Math Two Fifteen or even Math Two Hundred Three or even Math Two Hundred One. You know, I mean, you're always just trying to like. Teach this out of kids. Ah, oh, kids, no. Adults, right? Friends and freshmen. You're trying to, like, school them. And just, they just look at you, right? They just have that look. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. I am good at many things. <laughs> I can be an English major and take Physics 103. That is a good idea. Right. Thankfully, you just wait them out, right? Midterms. <laughs> just wait them out, and then they listen to you. Um, but it's a, it's a rare thing, Humility. It's a rare thing. There's this professor, William Deresowitz, uh, up at Yale, and uh, he's, uh, he he wrote this article in the New Republic entitled um, Why You Shouldn't Send Your Kids to the Ivy League. And what he argues is, like, it's like what we're creating in the Ivy League is excellent sheep. Now, you, you've you heard of this. I see, see people nodding. Excellent sheep. And, and it's like he saw this. He, you know, just in his teaching, it's like, Often there's this cycle, and this has gotten worse in his judgment in his time um, uh, in that role, is there's this cycle between grandiosity and depression. Right? Grandiosity and depression. And so, you know, that grandiosity is like, I am awesome. I am special. I will do great things. But I think of this, a friend of mine, uh, a fellow student, who's, who was like, I sh- I, he, he was like determined to be president of the United States. Not the only one. I, this is like a trait. It's like the Napoleon complex and the Princeton complex. He was going to be the president of the United States. He thought he should. He would fix the country. But he knew he would never get there. So at the, uh, on the one hand, he was like certain of his superiority and like so depressed that he was inactive. You know? Is this any of you? It's like, it's like like you shift. Sometimes it's like, I'm awesome. This is great. I'm better than other people. And then the next moment, it's like, that's self-loathing. Because you realize it's like, really, what can I achieve? If it's all on the line, I have, I have to continue to compete and to be superior and to be special and to achieve great things. Like, what a burden to carry. So we alternate between grandiosity <coughs> and depression. And we swing back and forth. This continues on into the working world. I mean, this man, this Yale professor says he's still struggling with that. He's just trying to, in his own life, he's just trying to cope with it better. So it's a rare thing, humility. Well, second, it's a relational thing. So the kind of humility Micah is talking about here is relational. He says, walk humbly. So humbly, yes, but walk with your God. With your God. So his humility, I don't think humility, certainly humility isn't that grandiosity. I am superior to other people. Look at all the great stuff I do. We know that's not humility. right? That just drives us crazy when people talk like that. Please hide that in your character, right? <laughs> Please hide that. But also, I don't think humility is that self loathing. right? It's that, that despair, that depression. It's not hum it's not it's not humility, it's just it's like recognizing I can't be awesome in my own right, therefore I feel bad. I feel bad. The the kind of humility that Micah is talking about is this relational humility <clears throat> with God. Alright, so he he's making this claim. This is a central claim of the Christian faith. That we are meant to be in, we've been created by God, and we are meant to be in relationship with God. We are meant to be in relationship with God. We are not meant to be on our own. Remember a student some years back, again, this is a common trait. You know, they start a Christian, they start coming to fellowship, because it's like, fellowship, Christian, fellowship, Christianity is for weak people. It's for weak people. I mean, the songs we sing, right? It's like, only with Jesus' help can I accomplish this. You know, and this was a student who took six classes every semester and got A's, A-pluses in every one. Right? I mean, the kind who, like, comes to Princeton and you can't just wait for midterms for them to be humble. That works for most people, right? First midterms, freshman fall, right? That's enough. That's enough. And then they're, like, open. Okay, all right. Maybe I don't know everything. But, you know, I mean, what about the student who, like, they they kill it, like, the way they were in high school? They're still killing it at Princeton. They're still one of the best students. Right? They're in that class of hundreds of people, and they're the one setting the curve, 98%. Right? And so it's like that to that student. It's like, why would I need anyone? I am an island unto myself. Who do I need? Well, the Christian faith—a fundamental claim of it—is that that is not true. We were not. We did not create ourselves. We are not meant to be alone. We need God. We need, in the words of Micah 6, 8, to walk with him, to walk with him. What, what, what does that look like, to walk with God? Because this is, this is where humility, rather than merely like being self-deprecating, let alone hating yourself, this is where humility becomes a really beautiful thing. When that humility is rooted in what? It's rooted in recognizing the truth about ourselves, and this is the hard thing about pride, it's like it just runs inevitably into the reality that we aren't who we ought to be. We don't do what we ought to do. But with, with God, with our relationship with God, what we find in that humility is, yes, on the one hand, I am worse than I thought I was. If We're going to take a hard, realistic look at our own hearts that's going to be exposed. You know, normally this is exposed only close friendships, you know, marriages, close relationships. But if I'm going to look there, what I find is like I am worse than I thought I was. But when we look to God, what we find is I am loved more than I ever could have imagined. I am loved more than I ever could have imagined. And so that humility that's walking with God isn't just like I live in a broken world, and I'm a broken person. It's, I live in a broken world. I'm, p- I'm part of that brokenness. But God sent his son, Jesus, to die for my sins. This is like, why is Jesus still so popular today? Was a, one of my favorite professors is Anthony, Graf- Anthony Grafton. One of my favorite professors at Princeton. Awesome. Anyone have him? Great. I was in a precept freshman fall Four students, it was just four of us, and Anthony Grafton. I mean, it was rough. It's like we didn't do the reading. One day he walked out on us. He's like, "You're wasting my time." <laughs> and he walked out. It's like, okay, I'm going to do all the reading. It's going to be good, you know. I mean, an excellent professor. But I remember once saying, like, if you told me back in the 60s, Jewish background, he said, if you told us back in the 60s that Christians would, we were in like third floor preset, third floor in Firestone Library. and He pointed out beyond that, Street. if you told me back in the 60s that Christians would still be out there out there, pointing beyond Nassau Street, I wouldn't have believed you, right? It's like, we thought, well, that's nice. It teaches some, some things that confirm some of our ideas that we should care for the poor and all that. But like, why is Jesus so popular? This is why, you know, I, I mean, I didn't, I should have said to him, right here, Anthony Grafton, one quarter of this precept, <laughs> at least, I didn't know about the other guys. Um, but me, at least, we're here in Princeton still today. Why? Because this is the greatest story ever told. Jesus died for your sin. Right? What is our answer to the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of our own hearts, to our own rebellion against God, or the way we live our lives against the way we were created to live them? But that Jesus bore the price on the cross for our sins. He stood in our place and suffered that price so that we could live forever with God. This is a beautiful message. This is, what, this is where humility becomes not just shame, but joy. Yeah, I'm humble because I see who I truly am. I see who I truly am. And who I truly am is a child of God saved by grace, freely given, freely offered. So that this humility, it's a rare, it's a precious thing. Where does it come from? It comes from s- sitting, bowing at the foot of the cross, beholding what Jesus has done, receiving that, proclaiming him as Lord, and then walking alongside him. Yeah, I'm humble. What am I? I'm not the king of my own little castle. I'm not the master of my own fate. Jesus is the master of my fate. He has a plan for me. He has a good purpose in me living out my life. I can be humble, but, and this is the third point, active. So this is, so it's walk, humbly with your God, walk, walk. It's not, it's not like come occasionally and bow down. That's where it starts, Micah six. 6. It's walk. Walk implies activeness. Right, it's like you get say humility. You know, on the one hand, you could have the humility that's that's like, well, what can I do? I can't do anything. I mean, you, you often get to this place at Princeton. It's like I try my hardest, I work, and what do I get? I get slaughtered, right, in exams. Maybe this is your experience. It's like, what can I do? Or like, I've realized that I will only be a like perfectly worthy and acceptable doctor, but not the world's best doctor. <laughs> right, and then you're like, I'm done. <laughs> right? if, I can't be all, if I can't be the best ever, then I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop. This is not the kind of humility Micah is speaking about. He says walk. Walk implies action, continuous action, faithful action, a confidence that we should move forward day by day together with God, uh, accomplishing his purposes, namely to, love ju- to do justice and to love kindness. Right? Active engaged. So what does that look like to be active in humility? This, I think, is a a hard thing to wrap our heads around because often it's like when we look at ourselves, we say, what drives us? It is our ambition, our our selfish ambition that drives us. Like, why do I work hard? Why do I try to achieve? Because I want to feel good about myself by accomplishing things. How, How, what does it look like to be active if it's not about me? If it's not for my own name and my own glory? What does that mean? Well, let every aspect, if you are a Christian, let every area of your life be captured by walking humbly with your God. In your successes, in your successes, when things go great, if you're that student who's setting the curve, you know, it's like your friends are all failing in the class, and you're getting in 98% without the curve. If that is your situation, whenever you have success, let there be the sense, God has given this to me. This is a gift. I am grateful for this. I can't accomplish (coughs) this on my own. This is a gift from the Lord Most High. right? Instead of it becoming your success, a, a root of arrogance, a root that divides you from other people, that you use to look down on other people, to puff yourself up, instead it becomes a cause for rejoicing. It becomes your success, your gifts, your talents become a tool in service of something greater than yourself, in service of God's will. In your failures, in your difficulties, in your crises, let walk humbly with your God. When things are hard, when things don't go your way, when a relationship falls apart and you didn't see it coming, when you aren't having the success you thought you would have in your academic endeavor, when you don't get that job you think you're owed, whatever it is, say, well, what do I have in this life that wasn't given to me? Jesus suffered What is the the model we see in Christ? He humbled himself and came to earth and suffered and died. And so whatever I am going through, he understands, he sympathizes, he cares, and he has shown a way to triumph over that suffering and over that difficulty. That's not an easy thing to say, but I say it not on my own authority, but on the example of Jesus Christ, who knew what suffering was more than you or I do. And yet I triumphed over it. So when you, in, your, in your victories, walk humbly with your God. In your defeats, walk humbly with your God. In your ambitions, in your ambitions, this is so crucial for us. In your aims and goals in life, walk humbly with your God. As, this is twice I had this conversation. We were doing this with different students at different times. We were doing these uh, service projects down in the inner city of North Philly. One of my classmates at Princeton it's a pastor there. A very, you know, broken neighborhood, very high crime. The worst in the city, truth be told. And so, you know, we were doing service projects. And I remember <coughs> talking to a student right there in the, in the, uh, by the fireplace. And I was like, oh, you should come with us, you know. And they were like, oh, but it's not safe. I'm like, it's not, you know, they're like, no, I mean, like, my life, like, I shouldn't risk my life in that way because God can do so much through me through the, like, other things that I can do because of my, like, skills, talents, and opportunities. Following with that argument? I had this twice from two different people. I shouldn't risk, and frankly, the risk is minuscule. Like, the people who are getting murdered in the neighborhood aren't random tourists from the suburbs. Just FYI. (laughs) In the daytime, doing VBS with the kids. You know, I'm like, there are kids living in this neighborhood, but you can't go visit them once because you're too important for that. Right? You've run the calculus, that's beneath you. <coughs> in your ambitions, walk humbly with your God. Right, This is what we do. We spend our time chasing after what is most glor- exalted. The, the most I can do for the, the world is to transform policy, to sit in the seat of government, and then I will save millions. This is how we think about ourselves. If you are not willing to go and meet people where they are and live with them, you will never serve their interests when you're in the seat of government. Let our ambitions be captured by a desire to walk calmly with our God and ask, what would God have me do? Right? Right? It's beneath my dignity to work with those people or take that job. I had this once, I was talking about my dad's a pastor and a friend at Princeton was asking, oh yeah, what's your church? Like, oh, I was a small church. You know, we were like 30 people when I was a little kid and it was about 100 people when I went off to college and he was just like so amazed by that. He's like, oh, it's so nice to know that someone would be willing A pastor in a small church. You know, like this is like this great sacrifice that my father. And I just did never occurred to me that, like, obviously for a Princetonian to preach in a small church would be beneath you. I, I didn't know that. Right? But that's like our natural assumption. What are your ambitions? What do you desire to do? Right? What do you desire to do? Let that be captured by God's heart and God's desires. Walk humbly with him. It may be great things. It may be exalted things. You may find yourself rich and powerful. If so, be thankful for it and use it powerfully for God's kingdom. Even at the same time as you are rich or powerful, many of you will be. I mean, truth be told, many of you will be. At the same time as you are rich and powerful, go out and spend some time with people who are not. Right? Escape. Don't spend all your days hanging around in with people exactly like you. Be Run against the grain. If you find yourself in poor and humble circumstances, say, well... I'm only walking in the path that my Savior walked himself. And so, praise God, may I continue to serve faithfully and effectively in these humble circumstances. Walk humbly with your God. Walk humbly. This is, just to end on this note, I mean, this, 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 is, a, this, this is a hard thing. I mean, it's a hard thing to walk humble path, right? You just naturally desire to build yourself up. You run into difficulties and opposition in life. You want to just harbor your own dignity and your own esteem. You want to crave that and carve that out. Right? We live for the affection of others. We live for the acclamation of others. Right? This is not how Jesus How did God accomplish his plan of salvation? <coughs> did Jesus come to the imperial household <coughs> in Rome or in China? No. He was born a Jew, a lesser people, a conquered people right? And where? Was he born in Jerusalem to well educated people? No, he was born in Galilee in the hinterland. No, 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 no place, Nazareth. And who were his followers? Were the, the, the great and mighty? Occasionally a few of them. But no, they were fishermen. They were normal people. This is beautiful because it is hope and it is salvation for all of us. Right? This humility, the humility that is walking with a Savior like Jesus, who if you don't know him, I would encourage you to meet him. Meet him in his word. Meet him talking about him with his people us here. It's like in Jesus we have a Savior who was humble, and in that humility is joy, Our freedom from all that bondage that comes from that pride, that grandiosity, or that depression. In Jesus is peace. Let's let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the prophet Micah speaking to us across many centuries, Lord God, help us, those of us who are believers, help us to walk humbly with you, to put aside our pride, Lord God, even to put aside our despair, our self-loathing, Heavenly Father, it is true that we need a Savior, we are sinners, but it is true that we have a Savior who loves us so dearly, fill our hearts, Lord God, with that love. Heavenly Father, for any here who are not Christians, who don't know what they think of this, I pray, Lord God, that their time here would be an opportunity. Their time at Princeton, wherever they are in life, would be an opportunity to grapple. Grapple with higher truths. Lord God, keep us, especially us here in the Ivy League, from merely being excellent sheep, going through life without thinking, jumping through hoops, not knowing where we're headed, living unexamined lives. Oh, lord god help us to examine our lives and help us to uh, bring them ever ever more daily transformed to your will and to the likeness of your son Jesus in whose name we pray